Hey, this is James from survivalpunk.com and happy Thanksgiving. So today's episode is on a Wednesday, which means technically it's the day before Thanksgiving. The email for this episode will come out on Thanksgiving because it's 6.39 right now and the episode will not make the 7 o'clock deadline, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, so this episode is going to be the Thanksgiving special of the year. Um, if We've done a few of them in the past, me and Mike. Uh, this will be a solo Thanksgiving episode, which is a shame. We didn't get a chance to record one uh, together, and I refuse to not let one go out this week. I have a lot of stuff to cover. So, basically, this Thanksgiving special will be a bit different. It's not going to be a rehash of the old Thanksgiving special, which really delved into some recipes, how Mike does his turkey. Um, the the we're gonna we're gonna mention that the original Thanksgiving. I think the first one. The first special, that is. Not the first Thanksgiving. Um, the first special, we got into the first Thanksgiving a lot more than we are, than I am, in this particular episode. Um, this time... <clears throat> guys, it, so... Anyone with a brain that doesn't watch CNN will admit we're in a recession right now. Um... A lot of smart people are saying that this recession is going to go into a great depression. This is going to go into a depression um, rivaling or worse than the previous American Great Recession, which would be brutal. So I've been doing a lot. I've been watching a lot of documentaries and videos about the Great Depression. So this episode will be pretty much on the Great De- how the Great Depression affected Thanksgiving. Um, and there, there may even be some like lasting effects that we've we've seen from it. Um, but let's let's quickly surmise Thanksgiving. Um, I know I have a few listeners not from the United States. Thanksgiving was celebrated. So when the pilgrims came over from England, they. They had trouble making. They had trouble getting food. They were starving. Some Indians came um, and gave them a big feast, and that's that's what kicked off Thanksgiving. Basically, um, it didn't become a national holiday until 1863, um, during the middle of the Civil War, the American Civil War. Um, and you know what? All of these, I, I I knew a lot of this information, right? I obviously knew about the things first Thanksgiving, which I glossed over real quick. Um, you can listen to the previous episode if you want to. Um, I knew about these things. Here's a here's something I didn't know. So I also knew that, also knew that basically Lincoln did it to appease people and and to try to mm, bring the country back together. So they they had a they created an American holiday for Americans. To really sort of bring the country back together uh, when they're wrapping up the Civil War. I did not know that Sarah Josepha Josepha Hale was the one that for like 30 years was pushing for the government to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. You're like, who's Sarah Hale? Who is this lady? Uh, she was a very prolific writer. She wrote something called Mary Had a Little Lamb. She was known as like the Thanksgiving queen because she pushed it for like f- almost 40 years. So did not know that fact. 
Um, so when I when I started trying, there's not a lot on this, and maybe I'll keep digging into it. But I could not find a lot of information on Thanksgiving during the Great Depression. I there was a couple. There was a so <clears throat> there's a couple conflicting things. There, there's I read an account, a statement from a Great Depression survival survivor. <clears throat> That he does not remember Thanksgiving or any holiday during the entire Great Depression. Um, so, I guess that's something you let go. But that was that was a single recount of the Great Depression. And I'm sure there's more. But for the most part, it looked like people really scraped and struggled to make sure that their holidays didn't go away. Um, they may not have had a lot, but... They were having Thanksgiving. That's um, really ingrained in them at that point. And I, I feel to this day, like, there's a there's a leftist war on Thanksgiving. And I just think, like, the normal people of America are just not having it. Like, I was even joking with my wife. I was like... It's it's like Thanksgiving's becoming a second class holiday now. When I was a kid, it was huge. There was like Thanksgiving decorations everywhere. It really seems like it's been eroded and This is going to be a rambling episode, guys. Sorry. I I have a strong like like I'll put I don't bet money, but I bet sodas. I'll bet I'll bet any of you guys a soda that... So, I would say pendulum swing with, like, the generations, right? So, like, Gen X. Gen X pushed, like, the the politically correct envelope all the way to, like, offensive territory. A lot. And then, millennials went the other way. They pushed the pendulum the other way to being offended by everything all the time. And it carried on. Like, so I would say the... See, and I and I hate this, like, it, the generations, like, you lump them together, but they generally tend to be such a big gap that, like, I'm a millennial. Um, I, I fell into like the first wave of like just missing out on being Gen X. Mike is Gen X, Capture Mike. Um, I, born in 1982, am a millennial by the truest definition. Like the, they define millennials as coming to age at the turn of the century. So the year 2000, January 4th, 2000, I turned 18. But then you look at like the very last people that qualify as gen uh, as millennials before it turned to gen uh, Z or even the alpha generation like the sensibilities between the two is so different like I tend to fall more in with gen X but whatever I'll, I'll take the, the burden I'm saddled with here so it looks like gen Z is kind of in the middle like <laughs> There's a lot of really dumb Gen Z, but there's... I, and that's with everyone, I guess. Um, Gen Z seems to be more on board with the whole transgender bullshit. Um, 
and and millennials by god are are all about it so i'm really thinking i have hope for my daughter who would be gen alpha that they're gonna just swing like 1950 style conservatism like like us older like gen x millennials are gonna be like well maybe you should loosen up a little bit no father i shan't i shan't loosen up um and then the next generation will probably be just bash it. Um, that that that's my prediction. Um, I, I I just really like the way like you can look at the generations like really swinging the pendulum here, and I think the next one's going to swing hard conservative, like just traditional, and shit's falling apart. Like it's just it's just not. I don't. Is there a is there a point where the pendulum goes so far like? that they just kind of reset back to zero and start from there like how long have we been going on this like if and if you look through history and i do tend to look through history like there's definitely been times of like extreme opulence like you look at you look at greek before the fall of greece um man if you time traveled a bunch of leftists they would love greece like they were, you know, and I, I grew up liking a lot of Greek things, uh, you know, Hercules and, and the myths and the, and the legends. Um, but a lot of the Greek people were just gross. We'll leave it at that. So I don't, I don't like, is it a, is it like a 1000 year run before like society gets a reset and then you start swinging the pendulum again? I don't know. Are we towards the end? I don't know. Um, you know, America has had a good run. I would say Western civilization has been going for a while. But, like, you think, like, what, like, 16, 1700, like, France? Like, they were pretty opulent, and, and they had a fall. Like, I think the trend is for humankind to keep getting more and more over the top and pushing boundaries of morality until it collapses and and it can go back to the the old phrase that you know good times create soft men hard times create strong men so if you keep pushing the the good times long enough your people get too weak and your society collapses which if you want to listen to a good podcast uh dan carlin his his podcast on genghis khan where they realize this. They realize that... So they... The, the uh, Genghis Khan, his Mongols, had like the strongest army. Like They could just tear up anybody. And then they got rich, and they got wealthy, and they got powerful. And then their warriors got soft. So they, they started sending their people back to like the hard, the hard like dustpan plains of Mongolia to train so that they weren't weak men. Yeah, uh, this is going to be one of those podcasts, guys. So, it it really looks like the Great Depression did not hamper Thanksgiving. People still had their Thanksgivings. They found a way, and they kept doing it. It may it was not the way they did it before. Um, I was reading an account where. S- Oyster stuffing used to be a big thing, uh, and when you come across all this stuff, you you see that like 
a lot of the food trends have changed over time. Like you look at the first Thanksgiving where there possibly was no desserts, which is a big portion of our modern Thanksgiving. Um, probably right after that, like you get white people together, they're making a cake. <laughs> Indians are like, oh no, I'll just eat my venison. White people are like, nope, nope, cakes and pies, guys. It, it looks like the, the recipes really changed over times. And so oyster, oyster stew used to be a big thing, oyster stuffing. Um, and the, the, the guy writing this article was like, on his way back from college, he bought two quarts of uh, oysters for like $1.63 or something. And his dad was like, whoa, whoa, you blow your hard-earned money on that? Like, whoa, that's, you know, um, that was a lot of money. And he said that during Christmas in like the good old days of like 1916, his granddad would get like two gallons of oysters delivered um, for Christmas feasts. So... People are still people are still doing their Thanksgiving, um, and one of the ways they're doing that is with finding cheaper alternatives. So, um, I shared this on Facebook, and it was just mind blowing. So, I went and looked. I wanted to see what was the price of a turkey during the Great Depression, and one of the dates I found was so the price of turkey in 1933 during during the you know the middle of the great depression started 1929 1933 depression going strong the price of an average sized turkey was three dollars and four cents if you price adjust that for inflation if you inflation adjust that to today's prices an average turkey would cost you 69 dollars and 69 cents $69. What? Like, so one time I got it in my head to go buy a organic local pasture turkey for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I, I got a, I got a pre-order when it was no money down. I go pick it up. I have this long line, lots of people picking up their turkeys. I get in this long line. I get to the front. I hand them my pickup ticket. They're like, all right, uh, here's your turkey. It'll be $119. And I, I about pooped myself. I, you know, and I'd already got in line. And I definitely, I had the money, but I didn't want to spend the 119 I was thinking like 50 bucks, you know, and, and, Obviously, I knew going in, this is going to be expensive. You know, I knew I was going to spend a lot of money. A hundred and something dollars. So, wow. Um, but a, a normal, a normal run of the mill, like your store brand, your Butterball, like $69. That's, I don't, I don't know how many turkeys would be sold at $69. Like, I'm in the business of selling turkeys. Like, that's part of my job duties during this time of the year is selling turkeys. I did not see turkeys nearly that expensive. I, I would say the most you're going to spend for a turkey this year that was a normal run-of-the-mill turkey is about 30 bucks, With the average being about $15. So like a fourth of the price in 1939. Um, 
and this is this is just a this is just a recession right now. So, um, who, like, and they they obviously sold. People weren't people weren't not buying turkeys. People were so. There was a lot of people that really had to like think and be like, "This Thanksgiving, I'm gonna have turkey." They're gonna have to like struggle, probably the whole year, to be able to buy this turkey. You know, um, it's definitely a big expenditure. But like, I don't, I don't want to live in a world where I don't do Thanksgiving. Like, the complete collapse happens. I'm gonna find a way to have a Thanksgiving. There's going to be November 24th, the Thursday. I'm going to have a Thanksgiving regardless. Because in my soul, I don't want to be a person that doesn't have a Thanksgiving. And I'm not the only one. Thanksgiving has stayed alive uh, and it will continue to do so. So that was expensive. So people people often had 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 to pivot like so we think turkey is thanksgiving there's other ways around that though like thanksgiving is a time to come together to give thanks and to share a feast and that feast has changed over time and will continue to change over time there was not turkey at the first thanksgiving more than likely it was probably root vegetables and venison because uh, that's what the Indians could get and bring. So, during the Great Depression, they had to find cheaper alternatives to still make this thing work. They weren't willing to give up Thanksgiving, but the turkey itself was was up for grabs. Like, you could drop that off and still have other things. Like, one of the things they did was... I'm going to go straight to the... I'm going to skip around my list a little bit. So... One of the things was something, and I want to try it, and I've got my wife on board. I don't know when I'm going to try it, but we're going to try it. It's called mock duck. So, duck was expensive. Turkey was expensive. Um, I'm not real sure why. Um, You could have old chickens, and you could have flank steak, apparently, was cheap enough that you could get that. So, you'd get a, a flank steak. You would stuff it like you would a turkey or a duck. And you'd roll it up, tie it with twine, sear it, and then roast it, and you would have mock duck. By all counts, this looks delicious. And and the the videos I've seen of people trying mock duck, delicious. So, um, and, you know, stuffed steak, there's no reason why that shouldn't be delicious. Um, So that's something I kind of want to try. Flank steak is, I mean... Not the cheapest thing, um, but you will find a way to make what you want. So, um, for them, flank steak was cheap back then. Now it could be something else. Now it's back to being turkeys, but we'll see in a few years what what the cheap thing to get is. Um, Another thing they did was to to get old hens that would be a tougher meat, and then they would, you know, roast those off. And they would still have, you know, a big bird. One or two of those would be much cheaper than getting a turkey. And, you know, like when when a, when a hen is past its egg laying prime and it's, you know, tough and old and grizzled, 
you can still make it a delicious bird. So it's just not gonna it's not gonna lay eggs anymore, uh, and you can probably get a good deal on it. Um, another one of the big recipes I found was creamed onions. This one I kind of want to try. Um, it's basically pearl onions boiled away in like a milk and then like you know like a, um, a white sauce basically. So um, I'm a big fan of onions and white sauces um, like Alfredo's and carbonara and bechamel sauce. So. Yeah, uh, the creamed onions recipe sounds delightful. And it's like onions and potatoes were real cheap back then. So they, you know, they made do with what they have. I don't, I can't say that it was invented during this time, but maybe became popular was the potato candy. Depending on what part of the country you live in, you may have never had potato candy. Um, It's kind of weird. I've had it a few times. I... I'm not positive, but I think it's a southern thing. So if you're northern, you may never have heard of it, or I could be wrong, and it may be a northern thing, and just I've had it from southern northern people that come here. I don't know. Um, which is basically, it's just a few ingredients. It's it's you boil and mash potatoes, put in copious amounts of powdered sugar, which transforms it into some weird like paste thing. You fill it with peanut butter, you roll it up like a log, you slice pieces off, you have potato candy. Um, ridiculously sweet, but pretty tasty. Um, and, and I believe that took off prominence during the Great Depression because potatoes and sugar were fairly affordable to get, but not eggs and some other stuff. So There's that. Um, another thing people were doing was trying to use local ingredients <clears throat> all of the research and, and videos that I've read and watched and stuff on the Great Depression people really did a lot of foraging um, foraging and hunting legal or otherwise really took off during the Great Depression the, the deer population which is pretty high right now took a took a pretty good plummet so um, people were foraging for like blackberries I saw a video of a lady where um, some days for dinner, they would they would eat blackberry pie because there was you could go pick blackberries in a field, and then you really only need some like flour to make a crust and some sugar, and you have a pie. Like, <clears throat> but like, there's a lot of like, if I told my daughter that pie was for dinner, she's three, she would love that. Um, my son Skyler, he would love that. My wife would love that. Um, <clears throat> but I have a feeling like at some point, like you would be like, okay, well, I'm tired of pie. Uh, that, that was fun, but I want, I want something besides pie now. Um, foraging for mushrooms, foraging for wild edibles, uh, dandelions, dandelions got real popular and was a dandelion salad was a big Thanksgiving thing they did during that time. Um, chestnuts, they use chestnuts for a lot chestnut stuffing um some other things like that which you'll probably notice that a lot of people aren't making chestnut things anymore because basically the chestnuts in america went extinct like a hundred years ago um and they were dwindling after that i want like it seems like 1950s or so like maybe you still had some chestnuts like that's like 
the height of like the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, right? But like I, I have I have found chestnuts to buy bulk, like to to just buy some like off of a counter, not in a package shipped from somewhere, like once in my entire life. They were uh, I don't think I love them, but I, I definitely want to try chestnuts again. Um, so. Whatever you can locally forage could go in your Thanksgiving meal. So, I know I have a friend up north, Nikki, that does a lot of mushroom hunting. That's not for me. I don't trust mushrooms. Um, but, and that's one of those things, like, if you want to go mushroom hunting, maybe look on one of the, like, group sites and see if you can find someone doing a mushroom class. I don't, I don't trust, like, reading in a book and going like there's a lot of I have a lot of forging wild edible books and I'll try pretty much all of them but mushrooms are the one that really I'm not big on getting mushrooms like that just me so another thing and I just want to like just because I'm just because I'm like doing so much research on the on the Great Depression I've come across silver prices during the Great Depression. And silver was a lot more important during the Great Depression. And and so looking at the price charts during the kickoff of the Great Depression, before so <laughs> if we look at the silver price chart before the Great Depression kicked off, silver was at an all-time high. Um the Roaring Twenties really drove the price up. Life was great. Silver was was high. Great Depression kicks off. It bottom out like, and I look at the chart till now. It has never came close to bottoming out that hard before. And it's getting. It's been dropping, uh, but it hasn't bottomed out anything like that. If you if you had bought at that drop. <laughs> you'd be so good um, and I've always I've always pushed that silver needs to be a part of your portfolio like you you need to have a portion of your wealth in silver uh, gold too but specifically silver is an easy end to me um, I've always I've either held silver stocks put silver in my 401ks at work or I also buy buy silver, so um, I diversify in that regard too. Um, but it, it may seem counterintuitive during the Great Depression to be buying and holding silver. Um, but if you the dollar the dollar was pretty shitty and hard to find. Um, silver began pretty low. But after that low point, it started going up, and it really never, it never came back down to those levels again. If we were, and you can't, you can't exactly transpose this, but I don't, I don't feel the dollar is going to be doing too well in the near future. Like that's so milk toast, like low bar, like you can't tell me I'm wrong, <laughs> like. The dollar debased and valueless, and we switch to a new monetary system, would be on the high end, 
the dollar not doing so well in the near future even though it's looking pretty is real strong right now but inflation is ridiculous so i'll stand by that uh you look at 10 years out i don't think the dollars be doing too well 10 years maybe recovery than that if by example you you were looking at going into your 401k and putting a percentage of that money into silver then i think you'll perform better um i would have to defer here um there's a company that i've been looking at they know more information and they could specifically try to help you out here uh and i would recommend you go check out thegoldirakit.com i'll have a link in the show notes i've i've kind of played with it myself they are more nuanced um but cannot stress enough that you need to be holding some sort of silver. And so I saw on I saw on Facebook someone like silver won't do you no good when the when the depression hits. I'm like, are you like some of these preppers are so short-minded? Like I just don't get it. If you were able to find a way to buy some gold during that dip, during any dip. Silver has always rebounded. Like, when you, like, silver was, I want to say the chart I saw was like the peak at like 1920 something was like a dollar 63 an ounce for silver. And it plummeted down to like a nickel. Like, it plummeted down like just in like the bottom of the chart. Like, nothing goes down that low, right? If you had found a way to buy silver, to hold silver during that time, your your wealth would have went up like worst case scenario you're on the verge of death and you have some silver coins you have your you have a wealth in like a silver ira you could do something um so your mileage may vary i i recommend so there's a couple kinds of people that made it through the great depression <clears throat> there's peoples in deep Appalachia and deep country that had to be told that there was a Great Depression and had to be told that it was over. Um, they were poor. They barely used money for anything and they just got by on the land. So they were poor before and struggling. They were poor after and struggling. Um, but that's just what it is. There's people that there's people that just made it through. They they went and they found work. They they worked hard, you know. They they struggled, and they recovered afterwards. You know, like I would say, the general majority of people were just they just made it. You know, they just survived, and that's the mentality I see of a lot of these people. They just they just want to survive. I don't want to just survive. And I don't want y'all to just survive this this coming Great Depression. I want us to try to come out as the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. There are people that went into the Great Depression, normal, run-of-the-mill people, you and me, and they came out the other side, freaking billionaires. Inflation adjusted. Um, 
when there's opportunities to be had, there's a lot of wealth to be had during during this economic turmoil. Don't leave it on the table. That's where your Thanksgiving dinner belongs. And that's all I've got to say. Um, I I will probably do another episode on the Great Depression at some point in the near future. Um, really want to get Mike back on the show for that. Um, there's a lot of survival lessons we had from the Great Depression. And we've barely... This episode barely scratched the surface. Um, and I may do some other historical episodes. There's a lot... There's a lot of events in history that could give us a lot of valuable information for these times we're going to be going through. So, more... And, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, every year during during the Christmas season, I rewatch a couple, a couple old videos, right? There's... The BBC put out a bunch of these farm series where they take these historians... And then they can go live for a year during this time period in history. The Victorian, the World War II, uh, all these time periods. They make them live and then you get a lot of information. I love those things. And for some reason, they've become like Christmassy for me. Uh, because they always have a Christmas episode. The Victorian Christmas. The uh, Edwardian history. Uh, Christmas. Love these. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good survival information to be plucked from those suckers. Uh, if you haven't seen them, go look on YouTube. You can you can find them. Uh, BBC Farm. You'll you'll find one. Uh, and if you love history, you'll definitely get a kick out of it. I, and and I really wish like I want someone to do that for America, like the, the Civil War Farm, like the 1762 Farm, like. I want someone to do that in America. Basically, it's Townsend's, but I want someone to live it. Like, I want them to take the formula from BBC Farm, put it in America, and make it. Um, I think that I would watch the hell out of that, guys. Uh, but anyway, this has been James from SmilePunk.com. DIY to survive, and happy Thanksgiving, guys.